Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. And as you're turning there, a pastor and a taxi driver both die in the same day, and the angels carry them into heaven. When, the, uh, uh, when they get to the pearly gates, St. Peter welcomes both of them, and he looks at the, cath- uh, the taxi driver and he says, come, follow me. He leads the taxi driver to this incredible mansion. I mean, it is loaded with everything imaginable. Has an Olympic-sized pool in the back, and the taxi driver just looks at it, and he's absolutely speechless. Peter goes back to the pearly gates, and he meets the pastor, and he says, come, follow me. He leads the pastor to this tiny little cottage with just the bare necessities. The pastor's looking at it, and he's a little perplexed. He says, Peter, he says, I think you, I think you made a mistake here. He says, I, I faithfully preach the gospel every single week. Peter said, no, there's, there's no mistake. He says, and it's true, you did. He says, every week when you preached, your people fell asleep. He said, but the taxi driver, every day that he drove, everyone prayed. <laughs> it's all about perspective. Amen. It is resurrection morning, amen, Easter Sunday, and, and no matter what else is going on around us, Easter morning is no doubt a time of celebration. It's a time of, of newness, a time of renewal. The flowers are coming up. It's, the, it's a sign of new life as we celebrate the risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. But even as we celebrate, you know, there is no doubt that we're ever reminded of the cost. We can never forget the pain and the suffering that Jesus endured as he was nailed to that cross. You know, our love and our adoration of him, it should never let us forget. But this morning, I want us to kind of uh, go pick up at at this point after the resurrection or or, uh, after uh, his crucifixion as they took his battered body, barely recognizable, off the cross I want to pick up from there after the crucifixion. Let's start reading in Matthew 27. Skip down to verse 57, if you would. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who made himself also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his new tomb, which he had honed out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb, and he departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. And on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while Jesus was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until that third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. 
So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Going into Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. But come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and, the de- and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his uh, disciples' word. And as they uh, went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. Verse 6 tells us, The angel said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Friends, this morning I want you to join me in this journey as we accept this great invitation to come and see. I want us to look at the place where indeed the Lord lay. Think of the millions that have traveled through the years. They've gone far and wide, traveled hundreds and even thousands of miles just to see where their favorite singer or their, or their favorite actor or their, or their favorite painter was born. Or how many thousands will travel hundreds of miles to see the, the, the grave site or the tomb of, of one of their their childhood heroes, so to speak. But if you want to see the resting place of perfection, if you want to see the shrine of all ages, if you want to see the spot where the most precious body ever lay, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Amen. Now, as we journey today and as we, as we peek into this tomb, I want us to take note of what we see. And the first thing that we see is a tomb without decay. It's completely decay-free. Most of us, unfortunately, we're, we're all too familiar with death, aren't we? How it takes us from our loved ones, how it separates us from them. And we read here how Mary and the, and the other Mary went to Jesus' tomb to weep. And most of us, you know, we've lost friends, we've lost family that's near and dear to our heart, and, you know, at times we'll go and maybe we'll plant a flower and, and we'll shed a tear at their tombstone as well, won't we? But today, we're invited to the tomb of our best friend, to the tomb of the one the Bible says sticks closer than a brother, the one who gave his life in exchange for hours. That angel said, he is not here for he is risen as he said, come, see the place 
where the Lord lay. Now, I want you to take note of who gives this invitation. Who is the one giving that invitation? The Bible said it was an angel that descended from heaven that created an earthquake that rolled the stone away. Now, I want to be very clear here. That earthquake was not to roll the stone away so Jesus could walk out. Jesus could have done that on his own. That angel moved that stone so that we could come and see where the Lord lay. Amen? So that we could see inside that tomb. So it was the angel that gives this great invitation, invites us to come. Even the angels of heaven want us to come and see. In fact, in the original Greek that the Old Testament was written in, those words actually say, come and see the place where our Lord lay. Our Lord. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of Lord, uh, he is the Lord of Lords, he is the King of Kings, he is Lord over all, and that includes the angels. You see, he is their Lord as well. And that angel invites everyone, he said, come, both angels and mankind, and see this sacred place where the Lord lay. Now, I have to admit, there is no shadow of a doubt that I am not a fan of cemeteries, not a fan of tombs, I'm not a fan of morgues. If you've ever been in a morgue, you know what I'm talking about. It's a very dark, gloomy, very heavy place, and when you go into a morgue, you can even smell the stench of death when you walk in. But that's not the case where the Lord lay. Amen. When we look into his tomb, all of our fears, all of our worries, all of our concerns are cast off. For his tomb is pure. It is decay-free. His body never saw any decomposition. His body never saw any corruption. In his tomb, there is no gloom. There is no stench of death. Three days he lay there, but no decay ever touched him. He would arise as perfect and pure as he entered this world. Amen. As we look into that tomb, the first thing we notice is that it was decay-free. The second thing we notice is that it was a costly tomb. This was no common grave in that day. It was a princely tomb. Most scholars believe uh, because of the status of Joseph of, of Arimathea, it was probably carved out of marble, a pure marble uh, a, a stone uh, tomb that he cut himself. The question is why? You think about everything that we read in the gospel about Christ. Jesus never owned expensive clothes. He walked around in sandals and a, and a coat with no seam. That was the cheapest clothes you could get in that day. Those were clothes of a pauper. He never owned his own home. The Bible said that he often made a stone as a pillow. We think about his life. He was even born in a cow shed. He was born lower than I guarantee everybody in this place today. A cow shed placed in a feeding trough as a bed. We think of that life 
And then we ask the question, why this noble tomb? Why this princely tomb? And the answer is because the Bible tells us that Jesus was not to be honored until after he finished our redemption. Jesus had to suffer before he could be honored. And think of all that he had to suffer before it was finished. He was trampled like a, like a rose under mankind's feet. Isaiah 53 tells us that he was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But that moment that he finished his great work of redemption... The father looked down and he said, enough. He said, no more shall he be disgraced. Though his body had to die, it will rest in honor. Wrap it in kingly spices and place it in a princely tomb. Jesus on the cross, covered in my sins and your sins, He had to be forsaken of the Father. The Bible tells us that God the Father had to forsake him, had to turn his back on him, could no longer look at him. Why? Because he took on himself my sins and your sins, and he became sin. But once that work was finished, the Father provides a very costly and princely tomb for he to be placed in. For now he could once again look upon his son and honor him. Third thing that we notice, not only was it a costly tomb, but it was a borrowed tomb. Jesus was buried in someone else's tomb, in someone else's grave. Belonged to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Again, Jesus had no home. He lived completely off the hospitality of others. He owned nothing in this world and was even given a tomb out of charity. We have to think why. When Joseph, you know, when he cut this tomb out of that hillside, I'm sure he thought that that was, that was going to be for himself. Or maybe even he, he, he made it large enough to be a, a family vault. But now, it's the tomb of the king of kings. Now, I want to clarify something here. Joseph did not lose that tomb by lending it to Jesus. Instead, he got it back with immeasurable interest. He only lent it out for three days. But think of the value it has now. Think of its holiness. Think of all the honor that it has been given. I pose this question again. That question is why? Why a borrowed tomb? It's important for us to understand. Why? Because Jesus took my sins, and he took all of your sins, and he took the sins of this entire world. He himself, how many sins did Jesus ever commit? Zero. He was perfect and sinless. 
All the sins that he took upon himself, they were borrowed sins. They were my sins. They were your sins. They were all borrowed sins. The Bible said he who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore our sins and he nailed them to Calvary's cross. And because they were borrowed sins, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Fourth thing that we see as we peek inside this tomb. We also notice that it's a virgin tomb. Think about it. When Jesus was born, he came forth from a virgin's womb. And when Jesus died, he was placed in a virgin tomb. A lot of us never think about that, do we? It's important we understand why. It was a virgin tomb, a tomb wherein no one else had ever lain before. Why is that so important? Well, we need to understand. No one could ever say, no one could ever claim that it was someone else's body that had been lain there. And therefore, it was someone else's body that rose from the dead. That claim can never be made because this was a virgin tomb. No other body had ever lain there. It was Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Now, as we accepted this invitation to come and see, we can't help but to feel that emotional roller coaster as we see that tomb, the bitter sweetness of it all. At first, there's no doubt, we see a tomb we are overcome with deep sorrow. That's the bitterness. Why? Because we realize this is a tomb of an innocent, murdered man. But that's not the worst of it. The worst part is, we know who murdered him. Me and you. We see that tomb and our hearts are filled with sorrow and grief because we know it's our fault that he's in there in the first place. It was my sins that nailed him and drove those spikes into his hands and feet. And it was your sins that made him take his last breath and cry out, it is finished. You see, we're the murderers of that innocent man. What a price he had to pay for sinners like us. But praise God, that's only half the story, amen. Praise God, there is Resurrection Sunday. We don't stay in our sorrows, for as we come, and as we see, and as we look inside that tomb, what do we see? Nothing. Because praise God, it is empty. Amen. It's an empty tomb. That is that sweet side of it, that bittersweet, and that's the sweet side of it. For where the Lord had lain... He no longer lays there any longer. Yes, we may weep when we first see that tomb. But that weeping, that quickly turns into re, uh, rejoicing and praise as we look into the tomb and we see that it's empty. We are no longer at the grave of the great I was. We are standing there as conquerors with the great I am. Amen. The Bible speaks of a coming rapture. When Jesus comes, 
And he gathers all the born-again believers to himself and takes us into heaven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that the dead in Christ shall rise first. A really smart scholar said the reason is because they have six more feet to go. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now we need to understand, we, when we read about this and we, and we study this, we need to understand that the one who rose first of all, Jesus Christ himself, he rose in a much different manner than we will. The dead in Christ will rise first, but in the power of Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose first of all, he rose in his own power. Amen. You need to understand that. Death had no dominion over him. Jesus could not have stayed in that tomb. Why? Because he is almighty God in the flesh. The fact that Jesus arose from the tomb and the tomb is empty is proof that he indeed did finish the work of our redemption, the work of our salvation. If he had not paid our sin debt, then he would have not have risen from the dead. He would have not have walked out of that tomb. His body would still be there today, just like all the other false prophets. All the others that claim to be deity. If you go and you look into their tomb, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see their bones. But not in the tomb of Christ. It's completely empty. Jesus indeed did arise and he did walk out of that tomb. And that is the guarantee of our redemption. Through his shed blood and that empty tomb, we are justified in him. He took our sins. He nailed them to that old rugged cross. In him, our sins are blotted out. They are to be never remembered ever again. Isn't that a great promise? Every sin that we've ever committed, every failure, Every bad decision, every wrong word spoken, completely forgiven, not just forgiven, but forgotten. Never to be remembered ever again. Because of that empty tomb, we no longer have to fear death. Because he lives, those of us that trust in him as our Lord and as our Savior, the Bible guarantees that we will live also. So on this Easter morning, I invite you to come and see where our Lord lay. Come and see that empty tomb. Come, meet the one who conquered it.